This is The Way We Roll with Simon Minty and Phil Friend. Hello and welcome to The Way We Roll with me, Simon Minty. And me, Phil Friend. This is the one-to-one show where Phil and I start chatting about all things disability and not disability, depending on what has taken our fancy. Um, the end of the last show, I talked about a theory, wait a month. If you're a bit stressed, just kick it down the road for a month. And in that time, things will look a lot better. You did. And? No, it's still quite stressful, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> it was about me moving house, wasn't it? It was. Uh, and go on, tell us what you've done about that. Well, the one I was stressing me out, I am, I'm not buying now, but oh. I've replaced it with another one that's stressing me out. So I suppose the whole bigger picture is that moving house is stressful. We all know that. Um, I still believe in the theory, just hang on, because it will get better. All I've done is replace one stressy bit with a new one. Yeah, and what the listener doesn't know is that you've varied the stress. So before the stress was about whether you could afford it and whether it had all the facilities, the yeah. new stress is about whether it's too far away. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. And when are you seeing your uh, counsellor? <laughs> she actually stopped me. She said, I don't need to help you anymore. I have a professional pride. <laughs> and I was just going along entertaining her with jokes about my life. Every six weeks, and she said, "Should we stop?" And I went, oh, "Right then." Did she say, so I, have... no, "I can do no more for you. You are a lost cause." Did she say that? No, no, the reverse. She said, "I can do no more for you because you're okay. You, you, you know, you're muddling through life all right." But she was brilliant, and she is brilliant, and I love her to bits. And she said, "The door is always open." So you know, we have the relationship built up. If I hit a, a tricky patch, I can go back and see her. So I think she should stand by in terms of accommodation. <laughs> uh, are you stressed? No, I'm fine, actually. No, I am okay. Um, uh, this new, the new coronavirus escalation, should we call it that? Is I mean, that is worrying. Um, those of us who've been kind of trying to keep out of harm's way for a long time now see perhaps this, end, you know, endlessly lying ahead of us. I don't know. I'm, I'm just... I'm wishing I wasn't so blooming uh, wimpish about it all, if that's the right um, term. For context, we're recording this probably a few weeks up before it comes out. So yeah. at this point, we're still at a stage of this rule of six up yep. in the north, it's locked down in certain places, and we're thinking it could creep onto us. There's some uncertainty, isn't there? There is, and, um, and my son lives in Liverpool, and they've just been yeah. told that they're now under the same regime. So London at the moment, which is broadly where we, you and I are, um, isn't so effective. But I think it's this kind of worry that the number of cases is going up, the number of hospitalizations are going up, the number of deaths are going up. Yeah. And um, for those of us who have to be a bit more careful, that just sort of means that maybe our restrictions are going to get worse. But your suggestion that you're being wimpish, which I don't think you necessarily are, but uh, here's the question. Is it because you think there is a genuine risk if you expose yourself to someone, you know, who's been hanging out with loads of other people? Or is do you think there's a bit of, you kind of got into a process where you're thinking, I'm just staying in until it's all okay? Do you know, I think it's probably a bit of both, Simon. It's probably a bit of both. I'm trying to avoid people that 
where I, and I don't mean that, that this is nasty about them, that, that lead very active lives and are out meeting lots of people through their work or so on. So I'm trying to avoid them. But in my family, my family members are meeting people and so on, and I'm not trying to avoid them. But I notice that when they call round, I kind of stay at one end of the kitchen and they're at the other end um, because, you know, they're being careful. Um, it's just, it's just so limit you know when you know something's going to end you can kind of manage it when it seems to just go on and on and on which this is um i don't know i don't want to exaggerate it. i'm not i'm not feeling particularly anxious about it all but it's it's in the back of your head whenever there's a social event that you might want to do something about like go out for a bite to eat or something and my theory doesn't hold up for this one they, you know give it a month and it will get better because we know it's going to be six yeah. months five months yeah 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 well, anyway, uh, we we will see. It's the same uh, for all of us, isn't it, in a, in a sense? Well, yes and no, but that is your point. There are certain categories of people that may be more susceptible and you have to be a bit more careful. And I do know I'm going out a little bit more for my dinners or meeting with a few people. I even went to Whitstable since the last show. We did mm. the Rule of Six and everything. But um, And I'm really in a tussle. I want to go away a lot because I'm exhausted by this restriction. But at the same time, I don't want to be stupid. No, and you did mention to me that your dad randomly had been sent a test and he proved negative, which is great because um, he's sort of not a dissimilar age to me and so on. So um, that's 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 good. No, I, I I don't know what it is. It's just um, for I'm me, sure. I, you know, I've got Sue and, and you live alone, so the need for me to go out as much, maybe less than it is for you. But but you're a lot younger and you and and you have a lifestyle, as long as I've known you, you've got a wide circle of friends, you enjoy their company, you go out an awful lot or you used to. So to stop all of that for you is massive. For me, I went out for family meals occasionally, went occasionally out with a friend for something. You and I would hang out at the occasional gathering together. Um, but it's all stopped. But it's not the same thing as it would be for you. And I'm guessing people of 20 who are really trying to socialise and network and do all that stuff, it must be even worse for them. So, yeah, there's no answer to this, really. No, and I realise we could carry on. Um, I'm going to move on to some big meaty topics. Yes, come on, let's get our teeth into something. This subject is is. Last month, we talked about the eradication of polio in, I think it's five, six or the the world now, Mm. and talked a little bit about your reflection of it. And I alluded in the second half about the drug that has come out, which the name is verocetide, and it affects people with a chondroplasia, which is a specific form of dwarfism, the most common form. And because the gene prevents the bones growing, if you have a chondroplasia, this gene is meant to sort of open, sorry, this medicine or this drug is meant to open up that so the gene has less of a restrictive impact. So someone, I suppose, for want of a better word, is going to end up in the middle. They're, they're not going to be average size, but they're not going to have dwarfism, the shortness either. Um, big article in The Guardian. There was one in The New York Times. This is kicking around a lot. I shared it with a few friends, one of them who is short. They were all short, sorry wrote back and said, I gave up reading because it's the same old S-H-I-T, which I do kind of get that. There's a there's part of which we're just like tired of reading this stuff. Um, I mentioned last time, big pharmaceutical promoting the drug as a solution to the side effects 
of dwarfism. So all the pain and the joints and the cancers and the breathing, all of that stuff. But I don't know if it is. And if you read this article, I'd love someone else who's not as biased as me because it's very hard for me to be purely independent. But there was a doctor in it and there was a mother in it and I found them disingenuous. I found them patronizing. They would say a sentence and be hypocritical in the same sentence. I will let you speak in a moment, Mr. Friend. Um, (laughs) Just an example. The mum reduced the issue of having dwarfism. She has a son who's been born with it. And she said, I don't know, you know, what it's like to walk in a person with dwarfism shoes. I I haven't been abused. I haven't been put up for adoption as a child. I haven't been ridiculed through history. That was her summation of someone with dwarfism. And I thought, well, if that's, I can see why you'd be terrified. How much is this a parent not wanting a child with dwarfism or how much is about the child having better life opportunities? And my last, and I'll pause, the doctor said, well, I know there's this thing, dwarf pride, and defending the rights of people with short stature to be viewed in society just like everyone else is admirable. And that sort of irked me. I'm like, what do we get, a badge? You know, it's not, it's not admirable. It's way more important than that. Well, oh, it's Dwarfism Awareness Month this wow. month. Yeah, all month. Short people, long time. Well, I think it's admirable that you have a month. Touche. <laughs> 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 um, this is a serious issue, isn't it? And, and what you've done is trigger some memories for me of the conversations that I recall around Down syndrome, where doctors were advising mothers-to-be that this child would be born with a condition and therefore it was grounds for termination and therefore da dum da dum da dum and they'd give them the story. Now, the story generally that we heard was that this was no life, that this was going to be awful, there were all sorts of side effects to Downs and so on and so forth. And as a result, if memory serves, I think eight out, eight out of ten women told they were having a child with Downs were likely to terminate the pregnancy. So now what was wrong with this, in my view, was that at no point were these mothers-to-be, as far as I'm aware, encouraged to go and visit mothers who'd had babies with Down syndrome. And I suspect the same is true for people with achondroplasia, that the medics, understandably, are going through this list of things that you wouldn't want a child to have. But what they're not doing is saying – Go off and see people that have got it and get their story. And then if you want to terminate the pregnancy, well, let's talk about it. So that's what you did with me. When you said that, I went doing, because the only cure for Downs is not to be born. You raise a couple of, or you remind me of a couple of bits. I was thinking in in the olden days, you have a child that has dwarfism. It was a surprise. You didn't know. There's some sort of discomfort or nervousness, whatever it might be. The, the enlightened parents would then go to a, a meeting of Restricted Growth, Little People UK, Dwarf Sports, whatever it might be. They get to hang out with a few other short people. And within a day or two, they go, oh, okay, my child's going to be fine. Mm. They're going to have a life. They're going to enjoy it. There's lots of social. There's lots of people who are very happy functioning, getting on with it. I'm worried now parents are speaking to parents and not getting enough of the short people involved. One great bit of news I just got this morning, Little People UK, LP UK, which is one of the associations, since February has been working with midwives okay. to talk to them about 
babies who might have dwarfism. And that's critical because if you're a mum and you get some scary bit of news, whereas if you've been pre-warned and the midwife is knowledgeable and can give some good examples, that changes it. You know, when people are told, you know, when they give birth to a new ch- child, the, the two questions that come up are, you know, yeah. what is it, boy or girl? And second question is, is it okay? And usually they're told, well, we've got some tests to do, but everything seems fine, you know. Um, there is this, I suppose, human beings are programmed to procreate and for that pro- procreation to, to survive. That's what it's about. And to have a child that isn't, in quotes, non-disabled or able-bodied or whatever, puts it at risk. Well, when we hunted game and stuff, that might be true, but we hunt in Tesco's, don't we? So some of that old messaging needs to be readdressed. Um, But what you're pointing up, and I think this has been the, the role of the social model and also disabled people in the last 20 to 30 years, is to say, okay, and I was saying it about polio. Polio in itself is not great. But people who've had it do lead very, in my case, lead very satisfying lives. Why wouldn't a small person do exactly the same thing? Um, uh, the article, and listener, do read it. And as I said, you know, I'm biased. I can't help but be so. But I look at it, and there's a couple of bits. One is, if you're a short person, you might have to spend a little bit of time working out your identity, hanging out with others, whatever it might be. I think the people who take this, the children that take this, are going to be in a neither nor land of sort of, I don't know, five foot. So they're neither average size nor are they short. And now that could be a really difficult identity because where is that going to be? Mm. And the bit that's driving me to distraction, you may have to put a beep in here in a minute. (laughs) They're making out that this is about getting rid of all the medical complications. But you read it and everything says they're going to be taller and they can reach a cup. That's what it is. It's about getting something out of a cupboard. That's what they think is going to be the big thing. Getting the rice from Tesco's from the top shelf. That's not the big thing. That's not the important thing. Yet that is what they're banging on about. It's, it's remarkable. It's very difficult to understand where you're coming from when you're six foot and a doctor isn't it? Because their whole mission is about relieving suffering and those kinds of things. Very honourable things. But it's incredibly difficult for anybody, including me, to put myself in your shoes and see that as incredibly positive. I mean, I do see that about you because I've known you for so long and I've met lots of disabled people whose lives are incredibly... But I, you know, I used to say this, that doctors, if you said to a doctor, look, I'm fine as I am, just leave me alone. The next, the next thing they do is refer you to the psychiatrist two doors <laughs> down, you know, and say, come on, you can't. There must be something wrong with you. You don't see the problem. Well, actually, as you and I both know, there's a solution to reaching the cup and it isn't a drug. It's rearranging your kitchen. That's how you do it. Or you employ somebody to get the cup for you or something. Don't put it out there in the first place. I mean, my parents. <laughs> yes, have, there is that, of course. <laughs> my parents have known me all this time. They come around and help a bit with drying up and they start putting cups on the top shelf. I'm like, why are you doing that? I think you, you need to deal with your parents because in one show recently, you also uh, said they came around to help you pack and they drank all your wine. That's it. Um, There's a real issue with my parents. <laughs> I am calling up my counsellor because I've not done the whole parent thing sufficiently, have I? <laughs> 
Um, I get your bit, six foot doctor, whatever. The bit that was missing is, well, then have a chat with a few people oh, who are affected. Yeah. That's what we always say. Yeah, absolutely. And this, we know there's people with dwarfism who are not happy, but that's true. But part of that will be fixable in the sense it's not just their height, it is the stuff that is going on outside. But are they not happy because of the treatment they're receiving by society at large? Or are they not happy because they're genuinely going through a very difficult personal process that they haven't quite worked out? I mean, they're different things, but it strikes me that if we valued difference in the way that we should, for many, many disabled people, of course, including specifically those who are small, it's no longer an issue. You know, you're treated respectfully regardless. And the mum who is saying, all I know is negative, 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 and we've had Ellie Simmons, the swimmer Paralympian, mm. on the show recently. There's Peter Dinklage, who is in Game of Thrones. There is Lisa Hammond, who was on EastEnders for five years. We've now got visible, there's more than that, by the way, there's lots of other good people out there, but we've now got visible actors, performers, uh, athletes, that your frame of reference is different. In 30 years ago, they might have said circus dwarf and woo, and that's terrifying if you're a parent, but that isn't the first thing you think of now. No, no. And, and we don't know, you may know more of them than I do, certainly, but there will be lots and lots of small people who are not in the limelight, but who are leading very, very good, happy, fulfilled lives, being parents or holding down various jobs or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we're not seeing their stories because, and certainly the doctors are not referring prospective mums to be or whatever to see them. That's what's missing. I think what's missing is your story. It's not being told. Oh, bloody hell, people are fed up in my story. No, I'm I wasn't meaning you specifically. Minty. I was meaning oh, sorry. small sorry. people. It's not all about you. Yeah, it's Minty banging on about it again. <laughs> it's all great fun. <laughs> it's open more doors and it's closed. <laughs> I think it's a serious – I don't know whether – I do remember your story of years and years ago when you went into the Welcome Foundation and there was the library with all the medical books. Yeah. And you famously pointed out to somebody in, that you were in one of them, or at least your condition was that you were in a bookshelf, and that the purpose of this organisation was to eliminate you. That went down quite well, I seem to recall. <laughs> but I mean, that I, voice. Where is where is where is achondroplasia in medical training? I'm going to have to leave that hanging because I don't know. I remember the name of that book, and I think it was called a. a, a Good morning's work or a morning's work. Oh, and this is old, 1920s. And there were lots of uh, diagrams. There's one on my list I was studying then, and I wanted to get that book. I will qualify the Welcome Foundation. Of course, there is that whole side of it. But they are awesome on disability arts and the lived experience of disability. Mm -hmm. They straddle a really interesting role. The things that they fund go way beyond. Uh, the medicine it, it, it's yeah, awesome I, I, the foundation I just think there. it's coincidental that the, the, their library or the research yeah, yeah, work yeah. they've done over many yeah. many years is kind mm. of um you know that doesn't make it we we well, it's a bit like black lives matter and dealing with statues of slavery you're, you're kind of in a sense you Good these point. things were thought and written about back in the 1920s doesn't mean the welcome foundation now buy into the same things but yeah interesting interesting mm. uh, in the meantime it's a bit like um, what I did with media. Rather than me trying to fight pharma, which I think is impossible, 
or difficult. I'd rather work on the positive stuff. So people go, well, why would I take that drug? I've seen yeah. Ellie, I've seen Peter, I've seen yeah. Joe Schmo, who's just getting on with life. I, my child doesn't need that drug. You could become, or p- someone like you could become the kind of Sally Phillips, you know, the comedian and actress and so on, yeah. who had a Down syndrome child, who's really put it on the map. I mean, she's made programs and been very active as a, as a mum. Um, and it's brought a lot of attention and, and maybe changed things. Hopefully it's changed things. Uh, I like the cut of her jib, as they say. Mm. And I've seen a few tweets where people launch back into her, but she doesn't. She, she's strong. She uh, is. Yeah, I, I agree. I watched her documentary, very powerful, where she went to Iceland and pointed out there was only one woman on the in Iceland that had Down syndrome because all the rest had been – there were no new births. Um, it was It was horrible. Well, there's cultural differences and country differences, and I'm sure there are a few Scandinavians that we love Scandinavian countries, but they have a very different attitude to some of this as well. But uh, they are generalizing with me. Uh, but the problem is I'm not a parent. We've got to find another mother who has a child who with dwarfism that says, well, I don't mind. And there's plenty of them just come to the Dwarf Sports Association. Their biggest worry is not their height. Their biggest worry is about whether they're happy or are they, you know, going to have a partner or studying or whatever. That's the normal issues and that's what you should be worried about. And do you know, as a parent, none of my children are disabled, but those are all the things I worried about. Are they happy? Will they get a good job? Yeah, you know, exactly. That stuff. Well, yeah, and all month, you know, look out for it. Dwarfism awareness, that's what we're all about. In, yes, yes. Actually, this is coming out at the end of the month. What a great month that was of <laughs> dwarfism awareness, wasn't it? <laughs> This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com. Well, Simon, um, one of the things that's coming coming to my attention um, is the, uh, the benefits in some ways of COVID-19 and the fact that we are now seeing far less traffic in our cities and the emergence of bicycles, pedestrians, and so on. And as a result of that, we're seeing more pedestrianisation. We're seeing pop-up cycle lanes soon to be made permanent in lots of ways. We're seeing streets that are being repurposed where traffic can't go through them. Um, All in all, a jolly good thing, one might think, until you hear uh, blind people talking about hazards of negotiating what used to be pavements and aren't anymore. Wheelchair users not being able to get out of taxis because the ramp won't reach the curb because the curb's no longer mm. reachable by a taxi because there's a cycle lane between it and the curb. Um, bollards everywhere, narrow restrictions. In fact, for the 500,000 or so wheelchair users that might be poddling about in this country, it's a joke. That's what I'm hearing. And I just thought, isn't it interesting? On the one hand, we applaud the cleaner air and the and the exercise that people are obviously using through bikes and, and walking and stuff. But on the other, you've got the downsides. Have you come across this? Is this something that's gone across your desk? Uh, you remind me of a long time ago, the BBC, I think they changed. It was around White City. Um, and they made it all pedestrian and I, and there were 
some of their blind members of staff saying you put a whole load of street furniture in the way and we don't know what's going on now. Mm. All our markers like curbs and so on have gone and it was very difficult to negotiate. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm spinning and I'll come back. When I go abroad, I'm thinking of Berlin, maybe a couple of other countries where they have got quite a good uh, bicycle lane network. Mm. I often jump in there on my scooter because my theory is it's better than the pavement for lots of us. Uh, it's going to be flat and I've got wheels, you know, not the 12 cyclists who can't get past me because I'm doing four miles an hour, not always as thrilled. <laughs> it, are we allowed as wheeled people, people who use wheels, are we allowed to use the bicycle lanes? Why do you keep asking questions I don't know the answer to? I have no idea. Uh, I, I would like you, though. I'm in a powered chair. And mine, of course, is, as you know, an Olympic powered chair. So mine does eight miles an hour, not the four that your scooter does, these mm. amateur virtual vehicles, um, us permanent power chair users. But being serious, I don't – I mean, I'm allowed on the road in it because it's got lights okay. and it's a class three vehicle. So I'm guessing I could go in the cycle lane, but like you, I'd hold up the bikes. If we go back, so it, blind people, they're lacking what? Markers and points of definition that they used to know. Yeah, there's that, but there's also the new obstacles because there are barriers that distinguish where the cycle lane is and the traffic can be and stuff. And some of these are just temporary. So you've got these big plastic red and white barrier type things that link together. So blind people, are they're a hazard. Yeah. I think- for power chairs, and to be fair to you and your scooter, we're in a slightly different leap to the manual wheelchair user who's got to push, and that yeah. is very difficult through some of these terrains. Now, um, like other uh, wheelchair users getting out of taxis, when I get out of a car, I'm desperate for the curb because otherwise it's a big drop down yeah. for me and yeah. my legs are shorter. So I do like a curb. I suppose what I'm thinking is we've adapted and adjusted to the environment as is, Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we want drop curves so we can cross the road, but when we're getting out, we want the, the regular curb. Um, is this the way it's going to be? So we're going to have to adapt. And what I'd suggest by that is either the ramps have got to be longer that come out of taxis, or I'm thinking of San Francisco and I think it's the Muni, which is like a, a tram. And if you're a walkie talkie, you stand and then you step onto the tram, but on the same stop is a raised platform. Right. So the, the wheelchair user goes up onto the race platform and then goes level access onto the tram. So will we have wheelchair disembarkment, disembarking points? That's, I mean, to be fair, I think you're making a very interesting point. This is very new. This has been done very quickly. These things have come into being in weeks. So clearly there will be mistakes and things that aren't working. But as particularly, I don't know about other big cities, but London is beginning to make some of this more permanent. They're not going to go back. They're going to leave things. as So they will put in more permanent arrangements, one of which could be, yes, exactly, disembarkation points for taxis or buses or things. Because the bus is the same, isn't it? You've got a ramp Mm. comes off a bus. um, And if the curb isn't there, you've got a problem because it's very steep. And the the blind easers are... Friends who, like, what, what? They're going to need, what, I mean, for those of our listeners who don't understand this, what blind people often are doing is they're using the shops as a, let's call it one coast, and the curb edge as another coast, and using their long canes and so on. They can negotiate where they are in relation to that. If you remove the curb, 
they have no way of knowing where they are in relation to the right side or left side, which way you're going. Um, mm. So they rely really heavily on things like that and obviously tactile pavement, surfaces of one sort or another to, to help them navigate. If all that gets kind of swept away, they're going to feel – and then the additional hazard of not knowing where the, the bollards or the markers are that they're supposed to keep the traffic mm-hmm. apart. Uh, and maybe you're back to the speed again. And when we do things quickly, things go wrong. Um, I thought legislation says public bodies, impact assessments. If you're changing something, you've got to say, well, this will impact this person with a disability greater than others. Therefore, is there another way around or a different way of doing it? Perhaps we just need to look at impact assessments a bit more because there's nothing wrong with changing. And I generally like the idea of pedestrianization. I don't have a big issue with it. As long as disabled people with our bags can still drive down it. Uh, but we do needs some disabled people to input so it's all of our measures that we've adapted to are not stripped away and then it becomes impossible well one of the worries about that of course is i've got two worries one is i love your optimism around the public sector duty and impact assessments which as far as i recall went out the day it came in kind of thing um tell me when you last saw an impact assessment report uh, involving disabled people uh, and I, I do know two people who've mentioned them recently, and the one works at a university and one with a public body, and they said they're really hard things to do. Oh, well, that They were disabled me. people. Second, the Mayor of London did not include disabled people on the panel that was being used to look at various issues to do with disabled, well, L- Londoners in general, transport and things like that. Been a brouhaha about that. Not so, bad. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Sh- I have to be careful here because I don't know all the details about that. It's just a headline that says disabled people are angry that they have not been involved in the sort of panels that have been set up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if <laughs> if we're involved, it was, but here we go again. Nothing about us without. If we're in the room, we can we can offer our views and opinions about these things. If we're not in the room, we can't. I was in Whitstable uh, a few weeks ago. And if you've ever been to Whitstable, listener. Um, well, knowingly, I haven't. They have very narrow roads, uh, uh, usually cars parked either side. So you can just about squeeze your third car down. Parking is at a premium. And then the high street is very narrow and cars whiz up and down it. And it is screaming out for pedestrianisation. I mean, okay, here's Londoner who was there for three days, quite happy to redesign the whole city. Uh, that's not on. I appreciate that. But there was something I just thought if there was this was pedestrianised, it would be a much more pleasurable experience for everybody. Plus, I was there during COVID, so you're on tiny little narrow pavements, and there's streams of people coming at you, and we're all trying to avoid each other, but we can't because cars are whizzing down. Mm. No, um, one of the things about Exhibition Road, where all the museums and galleries are in London in Kensington, yeah. was the fact that there were so many tourists and I don't mean necessarily foreign, tourists, there were so many they wouldn't fit on the pavements. Right. So they fell into the road. So they pedestrianised everything to try and avoid that. And, of course, the biggest campaigners were guide dogs and others about how that meant they could no longer negotiate. It seems there's always a a pro and a con, isn't there, Whatever, whatever happens. Whitstable, I must go, obviously, and check out the pavement. 
Uh, new subject. I was at a, a board meeting um, as a trustee and a couple of things popped up. I've mentioned this to you, but we haven't discussed it in full. Um, and there was a good thing and a bad thing. They were talking about the progression of language, different terms. And I'm intrigued because I'm not a big fan of language. I, I, I know people do think it is absolutely critical and I get that. I always feel there's bigger things. Nevertheless, one person said they'd been at a conference and someone had said BAME, uh, which stands for Black and Minority Ethnic People. And someone who was from that group of people stood up and said, I don't know, I don't like that terminology anymore. It's not appropriate. And someone said, okay, uh, we do want to get it right. What, what's, what's better? And the person said, I don't know yet. Um, or I'm working on that or something. I'm, you know, we're paraphrasing it third hand. I was intrigued by that. Um, the other one, which I, I thought was more tangible and uh, another conference, someone said best practice, you know, we must think about best practice and another panelist, you know, I'm, this is very vague, isn't it? Uh, it said, why do we keep saying best practice when actually what we mean is normal practice? Best practice 20 years ago was trying to put these things in, but we should be doing these as a matter of course now. This isn't best practice. I, I continue this conversation with our colleague, Susan Scott Parker, who the brightness that she is said, it's not the, the words, it's how you're measuring best practice, best practice. And she said, I believe best practice should be reviewed every three to five years and newness or the, the criteria changes. So you still always have best practice, but it will always be a year or two ahead. It's what you're aiming for. So we keep progressing. Oh, so yeah. What do you think? Well, I totally get the best practice one. And I think I'm with Susan. I think uh, the four-minute mile um, no longer applies. It's now the three-minute, 40-whatever mile. So best practice would be if you're, if you're under four minutes, well, so what? So is everybody else. So there's that. And I get that. And I think Susan's intervention in that is really interesting. And I can see what she's meaning. And I, yeah. and I agree with her. I think we have to keep resetting the bar. And interestingly, that isn't about the language. It's about the criteria, and that's more interesting to me. Yes. So best practice back in 53 was running four minutes and one second after 1953. Sorry, listener, that's when Roger Bannister broke the world record and stuff. <laughs> Dear old Roger Bannister. I'm old enough to remember these was, things. Was he in a cycle lane then? Or no, was he, he bloody wasn't. So, now, okay. so one week later, Best practice, in quotes, or the criteria was three minutes 59, mm. right? So so I'm with that. Now, this BAME thing, oh, I just I'm not so clear that I'm happy with that because I don't know if you recall this. Several years ago now, I suddenly was told that it was not all right to say brainstorming. Um, do yeah. you recall this? You are not allowed to say brainstorming. It's offensive to people with epilepsy. Yeah. So what I did was I rang the British Epileptic Society or whatever it was called back then, yeah. and I said, look, I've come across this, in, and I'm interested. I'm about your language. I don't want to get this wrong. What's this? She said, it's absolute rubbish. We have yeah. never pronounced. And to use the famous 2020 idiom, mm. it's fake news. Mm. It's not true. Mm. Now, one individual who says, I'm not happy with this, I would do what I think the person in the room did. Well, okay, so what would you prefer? I what term would you prefer I use with you? 
Oh. Oh, because I recognise that there are some women, for example, who, who take exception to certain words. That doesn't mean that all of them do. So I have to be, a, you know, I've got to try and fiddle my way through this. But one person does not define what the rest of us all say. I mean, physically handicapped, cripple, pardon the word, but that was the term used in the 1950s and 60s to describe people like me and you. We no longer use those terms. They're seen in some ways to be very offensive. And there are words about small people, which you know a lot more about than I do. But it it wasn't one person standing up saying that, although it might have been one person at a meeting of the um, British Dwarfs Association or something saying, we should stop using this word and start looking for alternatives. And then as a group, they said, well, what would be better? Well, dwarf would be better. All right, that's what we'll use then. Which, uh, uh, as it stood, there are two gaps, which is as an individual saying, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure I like it. What we didn't have was a, a group of people saying, this isn't so cool now and this is something that's more appropriate or more respectful or whatever it may be. I, I can reuse my old joke. When we wrote the sitcom, there's a character who's short who's speaking to his dad and his dad's unreconstructed, very old-fashioned. Uh, and his dad says to the, his son, um, but don't forget you're physically handicapped. And son says, Dad, I'm now disabled. And dad says, oh, has it got worse? <laughs> Which is a good little gag at the time. Uh, we've we've meandered. It's none like us. Maybe the world is a little bit more sophisticated, and we might be looking at we need two or three terms for describing certain people. And I am up for respectful and keeping it up to date. And like best practice, we've already worked out that it's a really smart move forward. So we're up for moving forward always. Just yeah, we I, need clarity suppose- and a bit of what I call sense to it as well. You said it for me, which is that, you know, in some ways, BAME, for example, is not about us. So we go with whatever the group are saying we should for the moment. But if things are changing and evolving, it would be nice to know what that means now. Yeah. You know, whether it's clunky or not, it's not my problem. It's That's what they're saying. But, yeah, I've not heard – interestingly, I have not heard any alternatives being put about. No. Uh, but maybe this, um, you know, we've already talked about Black Lives Matters. This is a big issue this year, as it mm, should be. Mm. And maybe we're going to get a bit more sophisticated and smarter around yeah. it. Well, we'll obviously keep, a, keep our ears to the ground or our eyes to the road or whatever. You can't say that anymore. That's oh. offensive. Oh, is that, to, is that offensive to, to roads? roads. Yeah, yeah, I thought yeah, it was. Yeah. All right, I'll stand the pavement. <laughs> and that's offensive to blind people. I mean, <laughs> Oh, you, you just <laughs> dropped it through the floor now, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> this is The Way We Roll, hosted by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. It is Listener's Corner, the bit that you all skip to because it's so brilliant. And now we give our email address. I know more of you are getting in touch and we love it. We appreciate it. So thank you. Lara Green uh, referred to pride and disability pride and saying it can be dented if you become the summation of your impairment. That's all that people see or recognize. And she said you learn about your real self when you hang out with others with the same condition. She said that she bought into this sort of cliche that she was blind and therefore good at maths, which is what she kept getting being told as though they're related. And then she met lots of people who were blind and realized, no, that's not the case. You know, there's all varieties of, of knowledge. So thank you, Lara. I, I get that. And there's the, the things that you think are unique to you and you meet others and you go, oh, okay, I'm the same. She wrote a long thing too, didn't she? Put a lot of effort into that. So that makes that doubly, doubly lovely. 
Thank you, Laura. Another, I don't want to say the other letter because that doesn't sound right. Um, the other, our dear old colleague, Dave Reese, who's a frequent contributor and correspondent, um, wrote, actually did write um, a very, very nice uh, note to us about our program in which we talked to Jeff Adams Spink. Um, it, it obviously, it, Dave felt that it, it the bit that was really interesting around that was the the relationship between Jeff, his impairment, and his mum, and that kind of thing. And I think Simon and I agree that was a very a very powerful moment in the conversation we had with Jeff. And we're really grateful to Jeff that actually he felt perfectly okay about sharing some of that more private things with us. So that was good. So and thank you, Dave, for that. That was very very nice of you. Uh- Absolutely. Dave's getting his own spot, isn't he? Because he writes a lot. Although I did notice he's writing to the old address that I'm not collecting. So anyone who's getting it, what was our email address now? Our email address now is mintianfriend at, at gmail.com. That's the one. Um, you do I that agree. just to test me every time, don't you? Think? Simon Minty's little gag. <laughs> it wasn't because I genuinely had forgotten. So you saved us. Um, uh, I agree with Dave and I agree with you. And what it has alluded to, there's two things. One, do listen to that Jeff Adam Spink show because there's some big stuff in there. Mm. The other bit is we're wondering and debating. We talked a little bit about Bill's childhood earlier on in another show. Uh, there's that video we put about the cure to polio and so on. There's a 12 minute video on YouTube if you're interested. I wonder whether we do a little bit of the history. I mean, some people go, that's all we ever bloody talk about is the past, you two. But I would like to hear about your childhood, and, and it is remarkable in certain aspects. And, you know, maybe I'll even talk about mine. There could be a little theme there. Well, you touched a bit on that today when you talked about this drug that might become available and, and the, the, the way in which uh, small people are being treated, viewed, and all that kind of stuff. And it's in some ways... Our stories are different, but there are links. Uh, yeah, well, why don't the listener uh, drop us a note or tell us what they think? And we, I'm, I'm certainly happy to talk about my early life. And particularly that relationship with your parents. Yeah. that's There's something going on with that disabled child and parent and, you know, how they have to do the best they possibly can under, you know, sometimes difficult circumstances. Yes, and, you know, what's lovely about me and you is that I go back a long way to – Things were very different post-war um, childhoods, Which war? as a yeah, post-war childhoods. Thank you, um, and of course you, you young whippersnapper. But yeah, why don't we? I'm happy to look at that. Um, I, I'm technically I'm a I'm not a whippersnapper. You know when you have to put in the um, you fill in your dates of your date of birth on an online mm. form or something, and sometimes you spin, you scroll it uh, for the year. <laughs> yeah. And it used to be a really quick scroll. And now I have to press it three times to keep spinning and spinning until I get to my 60s. I've decided that I'm not going to die until I can't go further back than my year of birth <laughs> on that device. <laughs> it's great, like it? 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is the etiquette? Where do they stop? About 150 years or something? I don't know. And, and have I insulted you by calling you a whippersnapper? Is that another set of words that we're not allowed to use about? people's age well the origin of whippersnapper came oh, about from, yeah, from no, the I Louis know, I, yeah. <laughs> he used to take his trousers and you throw them in the air and, <laughs> and snap a whip and everyone go and oh louis we love out you his snapper 
and off we went. <laughs> oh, this show oh is, dear, this show has dissolved into You know what? We peaked. We peaked. This, this month, we had Ellie Simmons. If you've not listened to it, um, I stayed on the right side of being too gushy, I hope. Um, but we, we both enjoyed speaking to her and Dwarfism Awareness Month. Look at that. Yeah. It's been good. Are we done? I think we are. Okay. Uh, nice to see you. Nice to speak to you. We'll be back very soon, a couple of weeks. We will indeed. Take care, Simon. Cheers, Phil. This is The Way We Roll, presented by Simon Minty and Phil Friend. You can email us at mintyandfriend at gmail.com or just search for Minty and Friend on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.